All righty, guys, as I mentioned a little earlier, this week our country lost an amazing man of God. Reverend Billy Graham died at 99 years old. Wow, huh? For those of you that may be like my boys who once asked, who's Billy Graham? <laughs> that, was a, uh, that was an interesting moment at my house. Now, in Hunter's defense, okay, we were watching football. We were watching Jimmy Graham playing for the Saints. How many wish he still played for the Saints? Okay, and, and I think something came up about he must be the most famous Graham ever. And I said, no, Billy Graham is, okay? Jimmy was good, but he wasn't Billy Graham, okay? And, and then the next thing I hear, and I don't remember if it was Hunter or Hayden, but again, I, I can't remember what I ate yesterday. Well, I can. It was crawfish, and it was good, okay? I'm glad Holly had a birthday, okay? But they said, who's Billy Graham? Me and Chantel stopped, looked at each other, and like, so one of us missed the boat here, okay? So I actually gave him a book, and I think he read it and, and all that good stuff. But for those of you like my boys who maybe would say, who is Billy Graham? Well, let me give you a quick little history lesson. He was known as America's pastor. He began his evangelistic preaching ministry in the 1930s. Let that sink in. And he has advised every U.S. president since Harry S. Truman. Truman was our president from 1945 to 1953. Wow, wow. He led many crusades in America, drew countless thousands and millions, filled football stadiums, filled the Washington Mall, and even in his final crusade, filled Central Park. His simple message of the love of God for all mankind has touched countless lives. Just a couple personal examples of, of maybe what we saw this week. Just this week on TV, we heard the testimony of Kathy Lee Gifford. How many saw that on TV where she began to tell about how Billy Graham's ministry touched her entire family and, and even led her entire family to Christ? That was pretty awesome. You don't see that on morning TV very often now, do you? Also, former President George W. Bush says that a meeting with Billy Graham literally saved his life. He said that he met Billy and uh, he was near 40 years old. He was bound in alcohol. He was, uh, he was really struggling in a bunch of areas of his life. And that meeting with Billy Graham began the turnaround in his life that helped him to become governor of Texas and our 43rd president of the United States. Many quotes are attributed to Billy Graham, but one of my favorites was about this exact moment in time, his death. Billy said, my home is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. What a great perspective, huh? I actually use this quote in the following scripture in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 at a funeral this week. Uh, Brother Jerry Oquan, a longtime member of this church, he and his family moved to Lafayette. Uh, he had a, a, a funeral this week, and I actually used that quote, and I used this scripture. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, as just a reminder of how you and I should be living, Paul writes this toward the end of his life to young Timothy, and in verse number 6 he says, For I am now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. You know, guys, every one of us are going to die one day. 
Every one of us are going to walk through that door of death. It's not something to be feared for the Christian, because for the Christian, it's nothing more than a transition. It's nothing more than a doorway that separates this side of eternity with the other side of eternity. And the Bible says for the Christian to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Billy understood that. Billy realizes that now. Verse number 7, Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Would to God we'd all do that, huh? Keep fighting. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Finish your course. Don't quit on God. I am thoroughly convinced that the only way we can lose out with God is to quit. The only way we can lose out with God is to throw in the towel, Zach. There are going to be some tough days. There are going to be some days where we want to pull our hair out. There's going to be some days when we're going to go, is it worth it? Well, the answer is absolutely. Amen? We need to fight the good fight. We need to finish our course. We need to keep the faith. Look at verse number 8, and this is exciting stuff for all of us. Henceforth there is laid up a crown of righteousness, with the Lord the righteous judge shall give me on that day, but not me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul realized that he was going to receive a crown, but he also encouraged every one of us in here today that if you'll keep the faith, if you'll keep doing what you're doing, you keep serving the Lord, there'll be a reward one day for you as well. Pastor Billy Graham preached that message for 99 years, and now it's become reality in his life. Let us all choose to live our lives with eternity in mind. Amen? As I heard many more stories and reports of Reverend Graham's death, I began to hear about some of the admirable traits that characterized his life and should characterize our lives as Christians as well. So my message today is a very simple one. Lessons from a life well lived, Reverend Billy Graham. So what are some things that that Billy Graham's life exemplified? What are some things that when you think of Billy Graham, you think about? And and that's what we're going to talk about today, amen? You know what, guys? We can always learn lessons from other people. I've heard it said this way, that that a wise man learns from other people's mistakes, okay? Well, we're not going to be talking about Billy's mistakes, because like every other person, he wasn't perfect. But we're going to be talking about some of the things he did well. And with God's help, we can try to emulate him, and we can try to serve God like Billy did, so that one day we can receive that reward like he surely already has. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence here today. I ask right now, Lord, that you would just touch us and strengthen us and encourage us, Lord, and that you would speak to us, Lord, as we talk about some of these different areas, Lord, that, that you want us to make sure are in good shape. I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would touch us and speak to us and use us for your glory. And I just thank you, Lord God, for giving us a, an example like Brother Billy Graham to look to and to learn from and and to be ministered by. Lord, we just ask that you'd bless our sermon and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, I want us to look at four different areas that really mattered to Brother Graham. Number one, integrity matters. You know, you can't think of Billy Graham without thinking about integrity. When you think about ministers, and and we start naming different names of ministers, so many times, sadly, we think about their their slip-ups. We think about their mistakes, don't we? We think about their falls from grace, especially when they're very, very well-known. Well, guys, there was nobody who was more well-known than Billy Graham, but yet we can't think of that major scandal. We think of integrity. How many think that that's something that you and I should take, uh, should take seriously? 
Integrity is defined as moral soundness, wholeness, completeness, the quality or state of being unimpaired. I believe this is the idea that James had in James chapter number 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. James chapter number 1, verses 2 through 4. I think this is the idea of integrity, completeness that James talked about. Verse number 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into temptation. I've always kind of struggled with that scripture. Anybody else here? Okay. Casey, there are times I understand joy. There, uh, during great worship time, I count it all joy. But when I'm being tempted, when things are not going my way, Ricky, that's not a time that I really think joy, joy, joy. Am I the only one? Stop looking at me with those pious looks that you're looking at me with, okay? But, but, but I don't know about you, but I've always struggled with that, Blaine. Count it all joy when I'm having a bad day at work. Count it all joy when I'm getting cut off in traffic. Count it all joy when my truck won't start. <sighs> but there's a, there's a purpose behind the pain. Verse number three. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Worketh patience. Verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. You see, I think James understood here that God wanted us to be men and women of integrity. God wanted to work in our lives and to use the situations in our lives and to use even people in our lives to, to, to get us to a place where we were sound where we were complete, where we were lacking nothing. I believe believers should be the model of integrity in this world. Amen? Here's a Billy Graham quote in this area. It says, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, all is lost. He understood the importance of integrity. Our integrity and our character are areas that you and I must protect because the enemy of our souls desires to steal these from you and I. Amen? And guys, here's the thing about character. I've used this illustration with my children when it comes to trust. It takes a while to gather trust, doesn't it? It takes a while to develop character, but it can all be lost with one poor decision. It can all be lost in in 10 minutes of foolishness. Guys, i got to challenge you. Let's make sure that we are men and women of integrity. Let's make sure that we think things out. See, the enemy doesn't want you to think long term. The enemy just wants us to think pleasure and think about the, 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 the moment that we're in. We need to begin to think long-term, Jay. We need to begin to think, how will this decision affect long-term? Because our decisions are not made in a vacuum. The decisions that I make as your pastor affect you. The decisions that I make as her husband affect her. The decisions that I make as Hunter and Hayden's dad affect them. None of us make our decisions and they don't have consequences. We need to be thoughtful of that. We need to realize that the enemy wants to attack our character and attack our integrity. Don't let him succeed. You see, integrity is necessary in how we talk and how we walk. How we talk and how we walk out our faith. Matthew 5 and 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Basically, we need to be truthful. 
Men, that eight-point buck needed to be an eight-point buck, okay? That uh, 16-inch redfish needed to be 16 inches. And if wildlife and fishery shows up, don't let him be 15 and three-quarters, okay? And we can't stomp on him and stretch him out like some of us have done before, okay? We need to make sure that we are men and women of integrity. That 79 that you shot in golf needs to be a 79, okay? We need to be, we need to be have integrity. Now, I know you, you women are going, preach it. Get that man right. Well, well, here's the deal. I'll get to you ladies in a second. Because how many realize that we men tend to be prone to exaggeration? Have you ever met that? I mean, look, we men tend to exaggerate, okay? That was the biggest fish I ever caught, okay? He, I mean, he might have been a minnow, but he, ended, he keeps growing, right, okay? We men are prone to exaggeration, okay? You know, I mean, um, you know, uh, Hayden will tell you he almost benches 300 pounds, okay? He's close, about 50 pounds away, but it's all good. He's close, okay? Um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we're men prone to exaggeration, But women, on the other hand, what are you prone to? Gossip. Boy, it's getting quiet now, ain't it? Let me get to you ladies in just a second. In fact, let's turn to Ephesians. I don't want you mad at me. I want you mad at Paul. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Men, watch how much you say amen because I don't want you to get in trouble. Okay? Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 29 tells us, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. Let me say that again. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. we got to watch what we say. You know, uh, uh, we we men understand that that means we shouldn't use profanity. You know, I I heard it on Facebook someday. If you can't say it without cuss words, you shouldn't say it. Okay? We men got to watch what we say. You women got to watch who you talk about. Ooh, I wish Pastor Tommy was up here to hit that. Okay? But here's the deal, guys. We need to watch what we say. That's integrity. That's integrity. Let me help you with something. If, if, if somebody will, will talk about somebody with you, they're going to talk about you with somebody else. Okay? <sighs> you know, another Billy Graham quote, I'm reminded of this, says, the real, Christian, the real Christian should be able to give his pet parrot to the town gossip. Let that sink in. What does a parrot do? Repeats everything he hears. If you're really doing right, if you're really a man or a woman of integrity, you wouldn't mind, Blaine, giving your pet parrot to the town gossip. Okay? Guys, we just want to make sure that we say what we mean and mean what we say. We need to watch what we say. Mama always taught us all what? If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. Man, we, we go a long way with what Mama said, huh? you don't have anything good to say men if you don't have anything good to say ladies say nothing at all you see guys we need to wash the way we talk we also need to wash the way we walk but here's the thing when it comes to to walk i've learned that if you take care of the small stuff the big stuff will usually take care of itself you see guys one of the great things about billy graham is is we never had no major sex scandal with billy graham and his ministry he was always faithful to ruth graham and 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 one of the reasons was what we call the billy graham rule i don't know if you ever heard this but his rule was to never be alone with another woman not your wife 
Tell you what, kind of hard to get in trouble in that area if you're never alone with another woman who's not your wife. A pretty good rule by Brother Billy, huh? It worked. See, what was that? That was taking care of the little things, and it took care of the big things. I'm not going to take the time to go through the bunch of the rules of what's right and what's wrong. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. I've learned that many times when somebody comes to the pastor, Pastor, do you think this is wrong? They already think it's wrong. They're just trying to get somebody to see it their way. You ever wondered that if you had to ask, you probably know it's wrong? You know, think about that a little bit. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Man, that should be enough. But integrity really matters, amen? I believe that we should recommit to be men and women of integrity. We're not going to be perfect. No one's perfect. But you know what? We're going to be men and women who are complete, who are striving for integrity. Because integrity matters. Number two. Family matters. Family matters. You see, Billy Graham made his family a priority, and you and I should as well. Family is a gift from God, and we should prioritize it accordingly. Matthew 6 and 33 is a great scripture uh, for us to base our priorities off of. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, guys, God, God blesses you when you have your priorities in order. You've heard me say this before, but for the new people, let me say it to you again. My priorities are really pretty simple. Number one is God, okay? Seek ye first. God, that needs to be our number one priority. If Jesus is not number one in your life, nothing else will come into place. If you keep trying to to reorder your life and reprioritize your life, if you don't have number one right, you are missing the boat. But right after God, right after our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, number two needs to be our family. And see, that's where so many Christians get in trouble. We think it's our work. We think it's our hobbies during hunting season. We think it's, oh, springtime. It's golf. Okay, I I was listening to a guy in the the bleachers yesterday at the baseball game. He said, I got to play golf every day or I'll lose my mind. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm like, dude, you got issues, okay? Um, but here's the deal, guys. We need to make sure that we prioritize our family accordingly. I promise you, one day on my deathbed, I'm not going to wish, Blaine, I could preach one more sermon, even though I love preaching sermons. I'm not going to wish I could go do one more thing with you. I'm going to wish I could spend a little bit more time with that pretty lady. I'm going to wish that I could play catch one more time with my two boys. Rick, when it really comes down to it, our family is so important. Guys, I want to challenge you. We need to make sure that our priorities are right. We need to make sure that our priorities are right. Now, what comes after God? What comes after our family? Well, that's when our ministry comes, our work comes. For me, my work and my ministry are the same thing, okay? For you, you have to pay your bills. The Bible says man don't work, man don't. Eat, okay? You got to make sure you take care of work, okay? But, but, but then you got to take care of uh, your, your, your ministry. You got to take care of your hobbies. Sometimes we put those hobbies way too high on the list, and I've been guilty as well, okay? But how many know that if you'll listen to your wife and you listen to the Holy Ghost, by the way, in my house, Blaine, they kind of sound the same, okay? <laughs> you listen to your wife and you listen to the Holy Spirit, they'll help keep your priorities straight, Amen? So how do you know, preacher, that God, uh, that Billy Graham kept his family in, in, in right priority? Because surely there were times that he was away. Surely he did so many things for the kingdom. I'm sure his family suffered. 
Well, guys, you can tell that Reverend Graham prioritized his family accordingly by just watching the way his children speak about him. If you've ever heard his son Franklin, if you've ever heard uh, their daughter, they talk in such glowing terms about mom and dad. You know, I I had the privilege of meeting Pastor Billy Graham right after Hurricane Katrina. This was in 2005, Katrina came through, and it was toward the end of that year or maybe early the next year, the Billy Graham uh, crusade wanted to come to New Orleans. They wanted to do some ministry, and and I remember went to a big church there in New Orleans, and uh, it was actually me and Rob Treg, one of our our ministry uh, leaders at the church, and and, um, uh, Franklin came and introduced his dad. He always referred to him as father. He said, uh, uh, and, and, and he just spoke in such glowing terms of his dad. Then a couple years later, I had a chance to, uh, when I was in the district office, go to Springfield. And again, we, we had a chance to hear Graham, uh, Franklin Graham speak. And, and of course, his dad was very sick at that time, was, 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 was not able to get out and about. But he gave us a report on father. And he said, got to let you know that father's in good spirits. And he went on and on. And, and, and guys, it was just heartfelt. You can tell when somebody's real. You can tell when somebody's just putting on. This guy was not putting on. He truly loved and respected his dad. I heard this quote before, and, and I believe that, that, that the Graham family lived it out, and I hope the Seneca families are, are trying to live it out as well. It says, I want those who are closest to me to love and respect me the most. I want those that are closest to me to love and respect me the most. Guys, I want you to respect me as your pastor. I want you to love me as your pastor. But guys, I want that little girl to love me even more, okay? I want these two boys to love and respect their dad more than anybody else. Why? Because they see me every day. We want to make sure that those are closest to us, who know us the best, love us and respect us the most. And the only way you can do that is if you prioritize your family accordingly. Amen? Some of you in here are going... Shoo, I messed this up. <laughs> you know what, guys? You wish you'd fix that 10 years ago. But the, best, the second best time to fix it is today. How do you spell love with your family? It's not L-O-V-E, it's T-I-M-E. Pass, uh, friend, dad, wife, start spending more time together. Start spending more time with your kids. Start taking advantage of that time. Friend, if you've not prioritized your wife and children as you should have, today is the day to make a change. Why? Because family really matters. Third area I want to talk to you just shortly about from the life of Billy Graham is humility matters. Humility matters. You can't think of Billy Graham and not think of a humble man of God. Billy Graham, with all his accomplishments, all his accolades, always came across as very humble and meek. All of us men should take note. Amen? Pride, you see, is a cancer that can sabotage your walk with Christ if not dealt with. I should know because I've dealt with this all my life. So many of us men struggle in this area. Casey, we're used to getting things done. We're used to calling the shots. We're used to telling folks how things need to go. And that's okay in some areas of our life, but in our spiritual walk, we got to realize we don't know it all. we got to realize we're not the general contractor. We're not the final say. We need to realize that we need God's help. We need to recognize that pride costs the... Pastor Tommy, we were talking about that this week. Pride cost the greatest worship leader there ever was everything. Who are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about Lucifer. 
Did you know that Satan used to lead all the worship in heaven? And then he thought he could run the show better than God could. It cost him everything. Guys, pride will cost you a whole lot as well. We have a warning about pride in 1 Peter chapter number 5. If you have your Bibles, turn there quickly. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Peter writes, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with what? Humility. For God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, we're instructed that we need to be cautious about pride. And we're reminded, we're we're cautioned that God resists the proud. You know, I've said this before. I said this to my leadership. I've said this to you as our congregation. There's been times that I thought people were fighting against me, Sister Josie. I thought people were coming against me, Miss Julie. I thought that board members, Seth, were giving me fits. And it wasn't none of them. It was God fighting against this boy. Because Sister Eloise, I was in pride. I was, I, was, I was realizing that God resisted the proud. But real quickly, the voice of the Holy Spirit or the voice of Chantel, I don't remember which, said, boy, <laughs> or maybe it was Packy Thompson on a phone call, said, boy, um, straighten up. Realize that you've got to be humble and realize that I need grace. Because God resisted the proud, but he does what to the humble? He gives them grace. How many in here by a show of hands needs grace? That would be an IQ question. That's just making sure you're still awake, okay? Because we all need grace, amen? We all need it. We're reminded to remain humble. And in verses 6 and 7, Peter gives us even better ways to remain humble. And I think it's so awesome that Peter wrote these words. Because of all the disciples, I think about Peter as being the big mouth. Peter's the guy who probably struggled with pride the most, and God had him pen these words about humility. Verse number 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. You see, guys, it's really simple. We can humble ourselves or God will humble us. That's what happened to Peter. Remember right before Jesus' death and and Jesus is saying what's going to happen. And Jeremy, what did Peter say? I'll never betray you. I'm here. I'll fight for you. Huh. Things didn't go quite as planned, huh, Blaine? He ended up denying the Lord three times. You see, he wasn't able to humble himself, but the Lord has a way of humbling us now, doesn't he? But he learned, and this is when he's writing this much later in life. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that ye may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, guys, how do we make sure we remain humble? We constantly acknowledge our need for God. We constantly acknowledge that we need his help. We constantly cast our cares on him, knowing that he cares for us. Friends, let's choose to remain humble so we can enjoy the grace and favor of God like never before in our lives. Amen? And then this brings me to my final point. You see, Jesus really matters. Jesus really matters. This is why Reverend Billy Graham gave most of his life to preaching and the ministry. He did what God had called him to do. And you and I should do likewise. I've got a simple question for you. Are you doing everything that God has called you to do? I'm not asking your, 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 your spouse. I'm not asking the person sitting next to you. Are you 
doing everything that God has called you to do. If you can answer yes, praise God, keep it up. But some of us, we can't answer yes, can we? We're holding back. We're not doing everything God has called us to do. Maybe God called you to some ministry and and at another church you you said, hey, I can do this and and it didn't go so well. Or, Or maybe that pastor said, no, the time's not right. What's God calling you to do? Or maybe God's calling you to do something very simple. He's just talking. He's calling you to reach out to somebody. He's calling you to pray for somebody. He's he's asking you to do some small thing. Do whatever God is calling you to do. It's what Reverend Billy Graham did, and he has no regrets whatsoever. If not, friends, make corrections because today Jesus really matters. Now, guys, I got to tell you, I could expound much more, much more on this topic, but I believe that we should finish this sermon by hearing from Billy Graham himself. You see, about five, six, seven years ago, Brother Billy Graham um, was filmed and he did his final message to America. And it's about a seven or an eight minute video that we're going to show today. Because you know what? I think that no man could do a better job of, of telling us about why Jesus really matters and also leading us in an altar call. At the very close of this, Reverend Billy Graham's going to ask, he's going to lead us in the sinner's prayer. And I thought it would be so appropriate for us to allow America's pastor to be a pastor one final time. So with this video just about ready to go, please give America's pastor your full attention as he explains in his own words why Jesus matters and allow us, allow him rather to lead us in one final altar call. As I look back over my life, it's full of surprises. I never thought I would become friends with people in different countries all over the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his own to the I see how God's hand guided me. When I began preaching many years ago, it is not with any thoughts that I've been preaching to large audiences. God has done this. Our country is in great need of a spiritual awakening. Well, there have been times that I've wept as I've gone from city to city and I've seen how far people have wandered from God the things that I've seen and heard, there's only one message that can change people's lives and hearts. There is a way if you come by the way of the cross. I want to tell people about the meaning of the cross, not the cross that hangs on the wall or around someone's neck. We receive our freedom purchased by the ransom of the cross. The cross expresses the great love of God for man. It's scarred and bloodstained. His was a rugged cross. His real purpose for coming was to die. I know that many will react to this message, but it is the truth. And with all my heart, I want to leave you with the truth. God says, I love you. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And he loves you. 
willing to forgive you of all your sins. The cross is offensive because it confronts people. Even so, it's a confrontation that all of us must face. I look out across an audience when I stand up to preach and I think of all the people with their different backgrounds and their various needs and I know that they are objects of God's mighty love to the point that he gave his son his only son to die upon a cross and the cross was the most terrible form of execution by the Romans for criminals and Jesus endured all that in our place because of our sins we deserve the cross we deserve hell we deserve judgment and all that that means I know that there are many people that dispute that people don't want to hear that they're sinners To many people, it's an offense. The cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evils which dominate so much of this world. One reason that the cross is an offense to people is because it demands, doesn't suggest, it demands a new lifestyle in all of us. Sin is a disease in the human heart. It affects the mind and the will and the emotions. Every part of our being is affected by this disease. How can we break this bondage? How can we be set free? God helps us break those chains. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. He can make you a totally new person. On that cross, God was laying on Jesus our sins. They not only put nails in his hands, but before that, they scourged him. A Roman scourge was a terrible thing. They took whips and pellets on those whips and beat a person almost to death. And then they took that cross and made him carry the cross, which was in his weakened condition was almost impossible. carried that cross to a place outside of Jerusalem and then they put nails in his hands but that was not the real suffering the real suffering is when he said my God why hast thou forsaken me in that terrible moment he and God the father were separated shed his blood 
that the shedding of that blood carries with it God's very life. There is no other way of salvation except through the cross of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The only way to the Father, Father God, is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now why Jesus? He's the only one that was born into this world without sin. But more than that, he was a righteous one. And when you come to him, you're clothed in his righteousness. God no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your own heart. He sees Jesus. When you come to Christ, you come by the way of repentance. Repent means to change. To change your way of living and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And I know that you're the only one that can change me. Today, I'm asking you to put your trust in Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, sentence by sentence, after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you've died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I repent of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. He's alive! I've given my life not to a dead Christ, but to a living Christ. And he's given me a song to sing. He's given me a flag to follow. I have reason for existence. I know where I've come from. I know why I'm here. I know where 